I do hope as the industry progresses and like the FSPM space progresses, that there's more open content and more and more collaborative elements. There's some ISAC meetings that'll talk about SSPM. There's some conferences where it gets brought up or touched on a little bit, but it's still Uh, a young space. So it can be hard to grasp the full complexity of it. Everywhere I've worked has had gaps in onboarding and offboarding process because it is hard to track what users have accounts where. And like some places you use a personal GitHub account. And so it's part of the offboarding checklist, but some other system part of that, or what if there was a test instance and it's like technically connected, but it's not part of the XSO framework. Are you one of those organizations that does not use VPN because you trust the fact that you have a SaaS service that is on single sign-on? If you have gone down that path, you probably are also aware of the blind spot you have if you're not looking at SaaS applications from a security lens. Usually this is because SaaS services like your Salesforce, Workday, or any other SaaS service out there is usually not managed by the security. It's managed by corporate IT or it's managed by company employees who have nothing to do with security. So maybe if you have read the Okta breach or other breaches that have happened in terms of supply chain, you probably would find out that each industry has its own challenges with its own unique type of SaaS services. For this episode, we had Max Feldman from AppOmni. He has been Salesforce as a ProtSec person and has been in the ProtSec space for a long time. And as someone who came from the SaaS field into this, we spoke about what is something called SSPM by Gartner and what does it mean? What does SaaS security really mean in terms of what are some of the attack vectors that people can look out for? How can they even start thinking about a SaaS security program for their organization if they were to go down that path? And what are some of the challenges you might come across? So all that and a lot more in this episode. If you are watching or listening to this episode for the second or third time, we would really appreciate if you take a few moments to just drop us a review or rating on Apple iTunes or Spotify if that's where you're listening to this. Or if you're watching this on YouTube or LinkedIn, feel free to give us a follow, subscribe. It really means a lot when you ask us questions on the comment section or send us emails with your questions. So helps us grow and helps more people find out about what Cloud Security Podcast does. And by the way, thank you for the 1.5 million downloads that we hit yesterday. It has been the most humbling moment for both Shilpi and myself when we started this four years ago. And it would not have been possible without all of you sharing episodes that you found valuable with other people and letting other people know that, hey, by the way, there's something about Cloud Security Podcast you can use as a resource for knowing everything about cloud and cloud security. We also recently released a custom AI agent. I know everyone has been talking about ChatGPT, but I don't know how many people have been talking about custom ChatGPT agents. We made one called Cloud Guardian specifically for cloud security, which should help you learn cloud security, do your cloud security job better. But we're not opening up for everyone. We are starting with a beta release for it. It's still a free custom agent that people can use, but we want to make sure that even though we have trained the data based on all the interviews that we have run on Cloud Security Podcast so far, and we'll keep adding all episodes, including the one that you're about to listen to right now, we just want to understand how do we trust this? And we don't want to trust it ourselves and not just give it a certification. So just like any other security person would do for a certification, we would like your help to understand if we have trained the model the right way, where do you find it to be problematic? If you do decide to help us, and we would really appreciate if you do, we would like to say a special thank you by giving you a special sticker of our mascot called Cloudy. And I look forward to hearing from you either in the comment section on the YouTube video or just send us an email if you want to spend some time and get involved in helping the community. Drop in a comment as Cloudy, C-L-O-U-D-I-E, or send us an email with 
cloudy to info at cloudsecuritypodcast.tv. That's all I wanted to share about the episode. And finally, we will be at AWS reInvent. And if you are there, definitely come and say hello. It is the biggest AWS event of the year. We were expecting a lot of announcements, specifically AI announcements is one more thing, but I would let the announcement be the judge of it. If you're there, definitely say hello. And we would love to say hello and give you a hug in person as well and include you in our videos that we do. But I just want to say thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode as the previous episode that you enjoyed. And I will see you next episode. Anyway, enjoy. Peace. Hey, Max, thanks for coming on the show, man. Really appreciate you hey, coming in. Yeah, thanks for having me. Not a problem. Could you share a bit about yourself? Maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my name is Max Feldman. I'm the director of security engineering at App Omni. Worked in SaaS and SaaS security for a while now. I started at Salesforce on the product security team. Then I worked at Slack, also on the product security team, moved around. And then, yeah, went to App Omni working on SSPM, SaaS security posture management. So pretty much my whole career in cloud and SaaS security. Yeah. Awesome. I'm glad you came from the product team as well. So you understand the technical nuance of the security aspects as well. But sometimes people may be confused with SaaS. Like a lot of people think cloud is SaaS as well, AWS is SaaS as well. In this particular context, when you say SaaS, so we can level the playing field for the conversation and have everyone on the same playing field. What do you mean by SaaS applications when you say security of SaaS applications? Yeah, so I would differentiate it from like infrastructure, platform as a service. And then just to give a really easy example, Salesforce, Slack, ServiceNow, Workday, things like that. There are a couple applications where it starts to get a little blurred. So you've got like Microsoft, which has SaaS components, but then it's also linked to Azure and Azure AD. So some of them blend a little bit, but I'd say more the business processes and the software that's running that for enterprises. But also GitHub, GitLab, things that are running in the cloud, but they may relate to code, they may relate to infrastructure, but they're not literally the infrastructure of it. And would you say, I guess talking about security for these as well, because I think we're talking about SaaS security here, because I haven't really heard a lot of conversations about SaaS security. It comes up here and there in conversations. Now there's a whole SSPM space that you refer to as well. What is SSPM and why was it not being considered so far from a security perspective? Yeah, so it stands for SaaS Security Posture Management. It's analogous to CSPM, but for these SaaS applications. And it's a little more niche and specific to SaaS apps. I'd say a maturity and understanding and there's other unique issues in the SaaS space that make it a little bit harder to maybe understand at a glance. So I think like with infrastructure, with that, cloud services, it can be fairly straightforward to say, oh, our servers are out of date or there's some vulnerability and we need to patch it or all of our infrastructure runs in the cloud, we need to secure it. SaaS can suffer a little from visibility and different stakeholders. So you may have, let's say you're a large organization, you have Salesforce Workday, ServiceNow, Slack, GitHub. You have probably different admins for each of those and then a security team that's completely separate from it. So you end up with some maybe confusion or lack of visibility, lack of awareness. And the folks who manage the Salesforce instance may be interested in security, but aren't necessarily the experts that we would expect on the security team proper. But then the security team proper doesn't know anything about Salesforce. And if they do, then they probably also don't know things about ServiceNow and Workday. It's all these services are so complex. It's hard enough. You can be an expert in one. There are like courses and certifications for just Salesforce, just Workday. And yeah. on top of that, to be a security expert, it's complex. And then I think it lags a little because there haven't been as many breaches either. So 
it's catching up slowly and it's getting more attention, but there's more and more attention to the data actually stored in these services versus like cloud. It's obvious. Everything's there. It's a worthwhile target. Attackers are going to try and disrupt your service or run crypto miners on your infrastructure. It's a little more subtle sometimes with that. So what is the Gartner SSPM then? Is that the same? I believe so. Yeah. And they have like players in the space and the quadrant for SSPM. They've basically gone full gamut with it as well. The reason I ask that question is because a lot of people from an organization perspective, there will be large organizations that actually have people who solely rely on Gartner. If it's on a Gartner category, I don't really care about it because it's not important enough for me. And I'm not saying all enterprises are like that, but definitely there are some that trust that if there's no Gartner category for SSPM, then there is no need for it considered because clearly it's not a pattern. So is the Gartner SSPM and the SSPM that you just mentioned, the same, both is the same thing? Yeah, exactly the same concept. It's an evolution of like, how do you apply security to these SaaS applications in general? And then there are specific ways to do that. But yeah, versus like CSPM, you're looking at even without a category, I think can be a little more obvious. Oh, here's where everything's running. Like here's all our sensitive data. So whatever level of the company you're in, you think, yeah, obviously we want to secure that. If you're looking at SaaS, it can be trickier. So that category, I think makes it a little more clear. And it's recent too. Just as time goes on, there's like more adoption of cloud services and then there's more adoption of SaaS services. And then there's more attention paid to like SaaS security and also all these SaaS applications grow in complexity. But yeah, I think it's the natural evolution of security attention over time. It's like it's on-prem and then it's the cloud and then it's... Yeah. Yeah. And would you say at what point would people start considering an SSPM? Should a startup today consider it? Because I imagine a lot of startups out there have a lot of SaaS services. And I think I was reading a survey somewhere, an average organization these days has about something 300 or SaaS services or something. Like at what point should someone consider seriously thinking about SaaS security? I would say at any point, it's worth considering. It's good to be thinking about security in general from the get-go, and it's easier. Yeah. So it's much easier to be thinking securely to begin with than to go and build an organization or build a company and then look back and say, oh, we should have done this more securely and then start trying to fix these things and fix this debt that's accumulated. So I'd say like short answer immediately from the get-go, it's good to be thinking about security. It's in practice can be a little more difficult if you've got a couple people or let's say a handful of people and everyone's jack of all trades and they're working in these different applications and you won't necessarily have the expertise or know like, how do you configure this securely? How do you make use of this securely? So when you go for an actual solution might differ from when you should start thinking about it. And I think that's pretty general too. Like when you're small, you should still think about the security of your code, but it's later on that you start purchasing more like security products. I'd say that it's very important from the get-go to be thinking about like inventory and where data is and visibility, because that helps paint a clearer picture of like when and where to invest. Because if you start and you have a couple products, or let's say you have even a few hundred SaaS products, but there's a long tail without a lot of information in them. It still help, lets you focus on the most important and largest applications. That also generalizes as you get to a huge organization with thousands of SaaS applications. Some of them won't have as sensitive data. And with finite time, finite resources, you do have to play this prioritization game. But there are yeah. some apps that'll have all of your employees' healthcare information and salaries and all this PII. 
There are some that'll have trade secrets. There are some applications that'll have like financials, all this other information. So those are probably worth more attention. So yeah, like your mileage may vary depending on how you're deploying things, but it's important to know where you're putting your sensitive data and then be thinking, are you following the best practices that they recommend the provider? And you've touched on a very interesting point, man, because a lot of people may be even confused about when we say SaaS security, what kind of threats or what kind of risks are we really talking about? And I love the example of HR data. It's like, Small company, large company, all of us have employee information for their home addresses, social security number. There's a lot of information that you have emergency contact, like you can keep going on. And it's also important to understand the SaaS security risk is not just from a perspective of, hey, I want to make sure that Ashish has the right amount of access on the SaaS service. It's also about the fact that the systems that have data that I care about, if it was to go out, and I obviously don't want to use the breach as a way to talk about this thing, but I would say that if it would concern you that if this system was exposed to the internet, then I think it's definitely higher in that priority list for it has sensitive information for me to actually consider this seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that's the case. Like it is actually information exposed to the public internet. Like sometimes it's exposed within the organization. So it might be easy to think, oh, we're all at the same company. It's not the biggest deal. But if you get to a company or an organization that has like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people and that HR information is exposed or information about like company financials are exposed, that's additional vectors for an eventual leak to the external world. One could imagine, oh, if you could see all the salaries of your coworkers or you could see information about them or their performance reviews or things like that, creating a kind of worse work environment. And then if it's exposed to the internet, it's even worse. That can happen depending on like, some applications are just so complex and have so much data in them. It could be, okay, over permission for internal users, for certain types of users, for external users, maybe there's a customer success venue and that is open to all customers, but maybe that's also open to the world in general. So you might have a case where, oh, you think it's locked down and it is via the UI, but it's not via the API. We've seen like all sorts of different edge cases and cases of just like information exposure. And then you could imagine, okay, what if it's like an HR system or it's a company that's tracking all of its customers in a CRM solution and then they leak their customer information. The customers aren't going to be happy about that. So yeah, I would differentiate the, for SSPM and SaaS security, there's like the security of the platform itself and that's managed by the provider. Like I used to work on those teams. They're big and they're very invested in making sure that these SaaS providers are secure. So making sure things are patched, like running a bug bounty, following best practices, but the complexity is where it starts to be the responsibility of the implementers and the deployers and the users of these systems. And with so much complexity, it's possible to shoot yourself in the foot sometimes. Yeah. Um, or not necessarily realize like the scope or the importance or not realize how the future users are going to be using it. So maybe you set up some like Salesforce or something, and then future users think, oh, this would be an awesome use case for Salesforce. It's super powerful. We can write our own custom apps. And then they're not as familiar with Apex and Visual Force and the security to use there. And they created this cool app, but there's so many unforeseen paths that the SaaS deployment can take. And even if you're, you start off, sorry, that was a 
bit of a tangent, but you've got your security provided by the provider and then the complexity where things can go wrong. Quote unquote, shared responsibility. The cloud model is also applicable for SaaS services as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think there are a lot of analogs between cloud and SaaS, uh, CFPM, SSPM, the things to be considering. And that everything has its nuances, but I think at a high level, there are a lot of similarities. And we also see one other thing about awareness is over time, the cloud became more and more poked at by pen testers and attackers and security professionals. And so Early on in the days of AWS, you have S3 buckets exposed yeah, all the time. Yeah. And then there are tools, there's automation, it gets a lot of attention. You don't really hear about it as much anymore. It's still possible, but it received a lot of attention. I think SaaS is trending in that direction, but hasn't fully hit it yet. It's more and more people are putting eyes on these and more and more people are like finding automated tools for checking for SaaS misconfigurations, but it hasn't yeah. quite hit the same state where it's like, Oh, if you haven't exposed that three bucket, 10 people are contact stealing the data immediately because everyone's running a scanner. Yeah. And would you say, wasn't there like an Okta breach that happened recently? Would that be an example of a scenario where it's not that it has never happened? It has happened in terms of a third party or like a SaaS service actually being breached. Yeah, yeah. There's that. We've seen it in organizations where SaaS was a pivot point or an entry point or it was the SaaS application that was breached and then data was exfiltrated from there. So that's not the first, won't be the last. And there's so much complexity in it. If you could get into, let's say, an IDP and then pivot from there, you might be able to reach other parts of the company or internally. Let's say you get into Slack and yep. you compromise a Slack account. You start messaging people, say, hey, click this. Then you pivot, pivot. You try and get access in other ways. And there are like defenses against that. But... They're all complex and like different entry points and pivot points. And it's hard to be mindful of all of them because you have your IDP. Okay. That grants access to everything. So watch out for that, but also Slack for social engineering and for getting access to other accounts. And also maybe like Google docs or Microsoft, you start circulating something and internally within a company and it has happened before. And sometimes it affects like the company itself. Sometimes it affects like the user or just a specific company because of the way they implemented things that granted access to attackers and then they established persistence. If you can pivot from one account to another, maybe you pivot to an account that has code ownership and then maybe you pivot established persistence on the servers themselves and you have access to everything, but your starting point was something simple. So it exposes this entirely new attack surface and then every application can be another attack surface and some of the SaaS applications are going to have if it's an idp it's every employee literally everyone is in there yeah if it's salesforce maybe fewer but still a big chunk of the org if it's github it'll be like an engineering section of an organization but slack will be everyone or microsoft teams would be everyone and so having all of these running simultaneously you're no longer thinking okay don't let someone's endpoint get breached or don't let someone's, let's watch our emails and yeah. look for suspicious attachments. You're looking for anything and you have to have the protections on all of them because if, let's say you disable like SSO and MFA on one app, then maybe that's used as a pivot. Yeah. A lot of people assume that the safety is in the fact that there is single sign-on on all SaaS applications. So the day Ashish leaves, his access is being revoked. But how many SaaS applications out there support SSO and how many of them support SSO without any extra charge for SSO? Because Yeah, the 
SSO tax or the yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the SSO tax that people talk about as well because there are SaaS applications. It's yes, you want to have single sign-on and have MFA, but someone has to pay for it from the SaaS provider's perspective, and that's where it becomes a conversation for. Let's talk about it in the next financial year or whatever. One thing that you touched on before we spoke about the types of attack was the similarities between CASB, CSPMs as well. What is the difference between a CASB and a SSPM? Yes, it's in the network and it's looking at where your employees are going and it's brokering access to your cloud services. And it can sit between, so let's say I'm on the VPN, it's monitoring my connections and looking at what's going back and forth between me and some SaaS application. They can lose a lot of information. SaaS complexity and just the use of it has exploded. So let's say, yeah, we've got a VPN, but you've connected hundreds of additional apps to your SaaS providers. So like Flat, Salesforce, Microsoft, GitHub, all of these things can have third-party applications. So CASB won't catch those. It won't necessarily see a lot of other interactions that are going on. And then also there are a lot of companies that don't use VPNs anymore or have different setups and there are more VPN lists. Oh, like the, like the SASPs, like the SASC, the service on edge or whatever it's called. Not even that, where it's just like everyone gets a login, it's SSO, and there's no monitoring. Or you have an right, endpoint right. on endpoint monitoring on your laptop, for example, but then is it on your phone? Do so you have a personal work device? And you might be, all of these SaaS providers also have mobile devices, so the phone would need to connect to the VPN. And I've worked at multiple places where you don't need to do that. And I think it's growing in popularity because it's just easier and faster. And then you count on these applications to just use SSO. So you've pushed a little bit of your planning for access just over to an identity provider. And I like the places where I don't have to get on a VPS a lot. <laughs> yeah. Log in. But I am on Slack on my phone. I'm on Gmail on my phone using like G Suite and GitHub. And so all these things. And if you, for a CASB, it has to have all that visibility and it would still miss the connections from the SaaS provider to other applications. So let's say you install in Salesforce, you can install applications that are third parties and they're accessing your Salesforce data via API. A CASB wouldn't catch that. And one of those could be breached. So you could have some third party application that's possibly not even in your list of approved vendors because a lot of SaaS providers have they have rich ecosystems for apps and it's easy to install. So someone might say, Hey, I want this helper for something or there are so many Slack integrations where it's, yeah, like Slack and Jira, Slack and GitHub. You probably know that you're using GitHub and Jira, but there can also be other apps where it's like, oh yeah, like this is something more fun, or this is a note-taking app and one or two people in the company wanted it, but they had permissions to install it or it was requested and just someone clicked approve but then it has access to all of the data in there. So CASB is not going to stop that necessarily. So like I would say a lot of the SSPM specific and SaaS specific solutions are integrating directly with the SaaS applications like oh, via right. APIs. And also tracking, one of the other things you miss with the CASB is like configuration drift and configuration changes and updates on the SaaS provider. And you could see, okay, who has gone into the system? Who has accessed what? But there are cases where that doesn't matter if an admin has made a configuration change or an admin has said, hey, I want to turn on this new feature tied to AI, for example. There are a lot of AI integrations and so companies are thinking, like, wait, do we want all of our text exposed with the third party? We need to vet that. But if there's just a button to push, 
it's not a breach. It's not a theft of information. It's not immediately concerning, but I think like a good solution would monitor that. And like a mature program isn't necessarily looking at just, okay, what users have done what, but they are at or like preventing access to certain things. They're looking at the system itself, like plugged in directly and saying, oh, did these settings change? Did this configuration change? Was additional access granted and work natively with the SAPS application instead of sitting in the middle? So that's say like a couple of the differences between yeah. some others. Would you say chat GPT is a SaaS application as well? Because you technically don't install anything. You just go to a browser, Dep you log I'd in. I'd say depending on how you use it. Yeah, it's running in the cloud and you're paying per usage. So I think it fits that definition pretty yeah. well. Mm -hmm. Like you could run chat GPT specifically, I think as a SaaS application. You could do like local LLMs and set up your own machine learning AI infrastructure. So it's all entirely contained. But if you're using an external service that's like learning off of your data and processing data, yeah. Even if someone goes in and asks a question, hey, what do we think about this deal coming through the pipeline? That it's technically that's corporate data that's been yeah. sent off. But if you're training it on all this data or like making use of the APIs, I think it fits that pretty well. It can start to have like sensitive data that it's. Yeah storing or trained on. Because it kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier about every SaaS application and also the example that you gave for what kind of incident can happen in a SaaS scenario, prioritization for, or at least having an inventory of what SaaS applications you have, and then picking which is a priority based on the kind of data it's consuming. And I would imagine, because people might think that there's a lot of similarity between what a CSPM does or a CNAP does these days and a SSPM as well. If I have a CSPM or a CNAP, do I still need an SSPM? Yes. Yeah, I think they're analogous, but they don't cover the same things. Those solutions might cover like Azure or GCP or AWS or certain other cloud platforms and infrastructure, but they're not connecting directly to SaaS applications. And if you're a, a technology company, I think a lot of companies are using cloud services now. So any company, you might be using AWS, you'll still have Salesforce and they're completely separate. There's no connection. Nothing covering AWS will by default cover Salesforce. It needs completely different connections. Yeah, it needs yeah. completely different things to be built. A lot of like security principles still apply, like least privilege and configuring things properly, looking at what data is doing yeah, where. Yeah. The foundations of security, I think, are universal, but then the specifics are wildly different. So you have this huge attack surface and all these things going on and Salesforce too, but in different ways. Like you can have all sorts of data. Like I used to review some of the apps on the app exchange and it's such a rich ecosystem, but there are so many use cases, like things I'd never thought of, things specific to industries that I had never worked in. So you have specific solutions for like, oh, like CRM. Great. Okay. You're tracking your customers. But what about healthcare? What about like oil and gas, and you have all these other verticals that have specific solutions and specific types of data in there. And it's all critical, business critical, sensitive, and it varies wildly. And then there are custom apps for it. You can customize Salesforce to hold all of this information. And it has, I would say, and similarly like unlimited potential use cases to AWS, just in a little bit different of a way. So you may not always be like writing code and building things from scratch, but you're still configuring things and you're still setting yourself up for complex use cases. So there is, while they're not the same and like the specifics and like the solutions are going to differ, it's also a lot of complexity and same with other applications. You can like, there's some SaaS applications where it's pretty much limitless potential, build whatever you want, which is yep. 
awesome and useful. And also then what data is going in there and how is it actually built and who maintains it? So there's so much complexity. Oh, and you had also asked about offboarding and SSO if that yeah, yeah, that's like right. a, a solution. So if a lot of SaaS applications do offer SSO, a lot of them charge for it. And also not all of them. And also you may not know if someone at your company can just swipe their own credit card or get a free trial of something. And then they're using, okay, here's something for brainstorming or here's something for like our roadmap. And it's a fun tool. They set it up with their own personal account and it's not SSO. Like everywhere I've worked has had gaps in onboarding and offboarding process because it is hard to track what users have accounts where. And like some places you use your personal GitHub account. And yeah. so it's part of the offboarding checklist, but some other system part of that, or like, what if there was a test instance and it's like technically connected, but it's not part of the SSO framework. So an SSPM solution can offer more insight into that because you're tracking every app, you're pulling straight from the API, you see the users, and then you have a central place so you could connect to HR and say, okay, or your HR system and say, okay, this person's offboarded, here's all of their accounts. Wouldn't necessarily catch everything. Still, if I go and sign up for a free trial of something, and then I just start typing and say, here's everything I think about our roadmap and our corporate <laughs> secrets, that's hard to track, like kind of shadow IT. But if I'm doing that and there's an SSPM solution connected, then there's awareness. Yeah, so if that process is followed, it's a hard problem to stop people from just like typing things into wherever. But when they're like a staff solution that's being used and like officially supported, at least you can handle that offboarding a bit better, even without SSO, because you have something that's really got visibility into all your synchronities of your SaaS. Yeah. Would you say like the whole phishing campaigns where all we are trying to do is not make the person click the link the same way, at least having awareness of the fact that, hey, by the way, if you use Salesforce or any other SaaS application, please make sure you don't use your corporate data in there for whatever reason, unless it's an application that we are all aware of as an organization that we are paying money for or sign up with a free trial, like that kind of awareness. I guess just to extend that example a bit more, for people who may be thinking about doing a SaaS security program in their organization, what's the starting point? I feel like we're starting a phishing campaign now, but what's a good place to start for someone who's probably listening to this and maybe considering having a SaaS security program start in 2024? Yeah. So there are a lot of good places to start. I think the first place for any security program is to be thinking about like your goals and the risks and like what data is at risk and like an understanding that it's really everything. And then one, I'll offer some like kind of general thoughts and then maybe more specific like resources okay. for starting points. But like one thing in security, like I found this in ProdSec, I think it applies everywhere. It's like investing in a happy path for people. So if you're writing code, make the secure choice the easiest one. So make sure that your security review process is easy and it's accessible and pleasant. And then it's the same with signing up for SaaS applications or like vendor risk and review process. If someone wants an app, make it enticing for them to do it so that people don't try and circumvent the process because the process is easy and it's designed with people in mind. So maybe someone wants some solution for like note-taking and there's one that's supported, there's one that's not. It should be easy to request the new one and it should also be easy to say, hey, we have this supported solution. But if everyone involved has at least a little empathy, then you're thinking like, okay, why do they need this solution? Is what we have enough or not? And then how do we do a review process that's quick at least? And so 
having the secure path be the happy path be the easiest thing, that means people will be forthcoming. And it ties into other aspects as well. They'll report phishing emails because it's easy. There's a channel to do it and their work is acknowledged and thanked. And so same with doing a vendor review or asking for permission. Make it enticing to ask for permission instead of to just go do whatever and try and deal with the consequences after the fact. I think the starting point is empathy and thinking about what are the consequences and the benefits and then thinking about like the human aspect of everything that you're doing. Then like more specifically, there are various like SFPM solutions. Some are more suited for small companies. Some are more suited for larger companies. Sometimes it's hard if you're a small group, you don't want to spend extra money on security. You're really trying to get out like an MVP. You're trying to get your work done. And so then that could be a little tricky, like how to start with no resources allocated. And I think it's important to consider the downside and the consequences otherwise, because you may be able to put off security a little, but as you accrue debt, you set yourself up for a disaster that's going to eat away at a time and resources in the future by actually doing it. And at least investing some time early on, you save a lot of pain down the road. And then investing some money early on, I think is also important for a security program in general. Maybe it's SSPM. My personal opinion, SSPM is super important. Everyone's using SaaS applications, so you should be mindful of that. But perhaps your first step is purchasing like an IDP. So at least everyone is logging in from a central place. And then maybe it's some lightweight security software that helps a little, or maybe it's a bug bounty. Maybe you're releasing something and you think, okay, we don't know everything that's going on. At least we can reward researchers a little bit. For starting specifically with SSPM, there are like Gartner has some resources. It's interesting in tying it back to the maturity of the space. If you Google SSPM, all the results are vendors. So as opposed to if you Google like web application security, you're going to get OWASP and there are talks and there are like open source communities and resources and tools. And then the SSPM space, I don't think has hit the same level and same maturity. And it's a little more niche, but it's still a huge space. There are yeah, so many fast yeah. applications and so much data in all of them. But right now, a lot of the information tends to be provided by vendors. And for me, where I work, we have uh, predictions, SAS and SSBM predictions coming for the coming year. And I think that would be a good starting point. And there are also other vendors that have similar content, but it is interesting to contrast like the available resources now yeah. versus if you're getting into web app tech or if you're getting into just like security in general, You've got a ton of places, a ton of tools. You've got like all these um, websites you can hack. You have bug bounties. You have bug bounty providers who have like courses and talks and this wealth of information on how to get into it, how to learn more for all audiences too. Oh, you're a pen tester. You can start here. Oh, like you're running your own security program. Here's a great place to start. SSPM is a little newer. It doesn't quite have all of that. There are some researchers in the space who published blogs. There are some bug bounties that cover it specifically, but hasn't quite hit the same level of maturity. All right. That's a long answer. I think like the summary or the short answer, it's like, as with all security programs, like start with empathy and keeping in mind, what are your risks and who is actually involved in the process, like the human element. And then right now, a lot of the information is Gartner and vendors, and maybe it's helpful to read like multiple perspectives and distill that. I do hope as the industry progresses and like the SSPM space progresses, that there's more open content and more and more collaborative elements. There's some ISAC meetings that'll talk about SSPM. There's some conferences where it gets brought up 
or yep. touched on a little bit, but it's still a young space. So it can be hard to grasp the full complexity of it. I think a, a good starting point is at a decent enough size when it's possible to invest in a solution. I do think that's a reasonable way to go because it is hard enough to be an expert in one SaaS application. And then it's way harder to be an expert in five. And it's impossible to be an expert in 100 or 200 or 300. And then before then, keeping in mind inventory and keeping people like forthcoming and mindful of where the data is going. And SaaS providers themselves also offer information. So like Salesforce has trailhead modules on security. I think every major SaaS provider has documentation on how to most securely deploy and that can be a little tedious, but it's necessary, I would say. It's not something to skip. So if you're right, you're rolling out Microsoft, it's worth reading the documentation and following their best practices. If you're rolling out Salesforce, it's worth reading the documentation and following the best practices and making sure you configure things securely, like principle of least privilege, requiring MFA, SSO. Those are the top three really concrete things that make it greatly increase the security of your SaaS applications. Yeah, there's like general approaches and then specifically MFA, SSO, least privilege, make people use a password manager. Those are all going to be like such a baseline. Yeah. Let your program flourish for a little while you mature. Oh, fair enough. That's a good point because sometimes you just don't have to go through the extra mile of buying a SSPM, but as long as you're doing basic hygiene, you should be comfortable with it. For people who might go down that path of doing this, I think you mentioned this in the beginning of our interview as well, where sometimes it's corporate IT that owns SaaS applications. They might have a Salesforce expert in the organization. They might be a Workday expert. Maybe think there might be a few challenges along the way that when they are thinking of building a SaaS security program or even thinking about working on this, can you give us a few examples of what kind of challenges people can expect as they work on this? Yeah. And I think some are going to be relationships. And if you have a big enough company, you have teams that are just really divergent and maybe not necessarily working well together. And I think like empathy plays a big role in that. If you're IT admins and your security team, I think this is a huge responsibility of any security team is be an enabler and force security, but don't always say no. This was a lot of the work we did at Slack on ProdSec wasn't necessarily like technical security stuff. It was like, how do we build better relationships with the company? How do we make processes that encourage people to come to us and be forthcoming? And how do we enable people to move quickly and securely? Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be a trade-off. And I think it's important for security teams to realize that. And when you have that foundation of a better relationship, it's easy for the IT team to say, hey, we're thinking of enabling this, or we want to make these changes. What are your thoughts? But if you have a contentious relationship, that's going to be a challenge. If security is viewed as a blocker, IT and administrators of these SaaS systems want to get things done, they won't go to security. As with anyone, like if you're a software engineer and you think, okay, I want to ship this and security will slow me down, you would avoid it if possible. Maybe, like maybe not, but it's easy to say, I have pressure to do my job quickly. Yeah. Do it well. And security may not be part of that. I think it should be, but it may not be the pressure that you're receiving as an individual. So maintaining that good relationship, I think that's the fix for that. But that's one of the challenges. One of the other challenges is that might be faced like how much debt there is in terms of configuration. If you started using some of these applications 10, 20 years ago, they've evolved in the meantime and become more secure 
over time and become easier to configure over time. But there may be like legacy features. You'll see like legacy off in some providers or like legacy features that are dangerous, but still supported for now. And yep. so that can be a challenge to say, okay, how do we change this without breaking our process? Or I've seen this before where some process or some feature relied on a bug that needed to be changed and needed to be fixed. So, okay, how do you work with a team to find a new solution? And that takes, I think the solution for that is also empathy and patience, like so that a security team can help be an enabler of the functionality that was already there while yeah. moving to a more secure state. But that's definitely... The, the longer you've been on that's application, the more perhaps like bad practices that happen. Or if security wasn't a priority in the rollout, like same with coding, same with anything. If you, the, the longer you wait to be secure, the harder it is to get there. So I'd say those are some of the problems. Some of the others are just the, the knowledge gap, like security experts know a lot about security and not so much about the platforms and providers and the SaaS experts aren't necessarily security experts. Like. A lot of people I've interacted with are great at security and are interested in it, but it's two different spaces with two different incentives. And so some organizational alignment and investment from everyone at all levels and acceptance that security is important and it doesn't have to be a blocker, that can help there with the knowledge transfer or the trust that you can build between each other. It's nice that they know why to make some changes. It's nice to be invested and on board. But if they also trust, hey, the security team says we should do this, it can be easy. It can be a quick, okay, yeah, we'll do it. We don't have to question. And same with the security team. If they say, why do you need this process? Maybe they don't have to ask why. Maybe you can say, okay, great. Yeah, like you need that process. Okay, how do we do it secure? And it's good to have, you can have a healthy conflict between teams, like openness yeah. and transparency. But I, I think maybe other people would disagree, but I think a lot of like challenges and solutions end up being relationships and collaboration as opposed to, oh, how do we solve this really hard technical challenge? Like most of what I've seen hasn't been like, okay, we need the best like crypto geniuses in the world working on this. It's more like, okay, how do we get aligned? And how do we have a nice working relationship so that we can solve this? Yeah. Awesome. No, thank you for sharing that as well. I was going to ask about resources, but you wanted to share the resources as well. So I won't go into it, but that's most of the technical questions I had. If people yeah. want to know more about the SSPM space or just the SaaS space as well, how can they reach out to you? Where can they find you on socials? My email is max at appomni.com. That's probably the best one. I'm on LinkedIn, Max Feldman, and AppOmni if you find other Max Feldmans on LinkedIn. I have a Twitter. I don't use it too much anymore. It's Mrs. Bufferworth's. Like, oh, um, nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I don't use that as much as LinkedIn and email. So yeah, I'd say those are the best. Awesome. I would put them in the show notes as well. But dude, thanks so much for doing this. And thank you for shedding light on the whole SaaS security space and how can people even start working on this space as well. Thank you so much for your time and definitely looking forward to at least seeing where the young field of SaaS security kind of matures onto as well, maybe having another conversation. But thanks so much for your time and for everyone else who's watching, thank you so much for your time for listening to us, watching us as well. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.